You are listening to the audio preaching podcast from Heritage Baptist Church in Corpus Christi, Texas, led by Pastor Johnny Chen. Our church is dedicated to serving Jesus Christ and reaching the world by going forward with the gospel. We pray that you will be helped and blessed by this message from God's Word. Would you turn in your Bibles with me to Acts chapter 14? We're going to read the whole chapter tonight. Last week we read 52 verses. This week we'll read 28. And it came to pass in Iconium that they went both together into the synagogue of the Jews and so spake that a great multitude both of Jews and also of the Greeks believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and made their minds evil affected against the brethren. Long time, therefore, abode they speaking boldly in the Lord, which gave testimony unto the word of his grace, and granted signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But the multitude of the city was divided, and part held with the Jews and part with the apostles. And when there was an assault made, both of the Gentiles and also of the Jews with their rulers to use them despitefully. Does that sound familiar to you? When Jesus preached on the, on, uh, the Sermon on the Mountain, he says, you pray for those that uh, speak against you and um, who despitefully use you. Okay? And what it's talking about is falsely accusing you with the sole intent to inflict some type of harm whether that is judicial harm or physical harm. So this assault that is made was not against the Jews and the Gentiles, but the Jews and the Gentiles were brought together to despitefully use or to accuse, bring harm upon Paul and Barnabas uh, and to stone them. So if despitefully using them didn't bring across the, the meaning of harm, that, that next phrase would do that. Uh, they were aware of it and fled unto Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lyconia, and unto the region that lieth round about. And there they preached the gospel three times in chapter 14, verse number 7, verse number 21, verse number 25, they preached. And there sat a certain man at Lystra, impotent in his feet, being a cripple from his mother's womb, who never had walked, the same heard Paul speak, who steadfastly beholding him and perceiving that he had faith to be healed, said with a loud voice, Stand upright on thy feet. And he leaped and walked. And when the people saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying in the speech of Lyconia, The gods are come down to us in the likeness of men. And they called Barnabas Jupiter and Paul Mercurius, because he was the chief speaker. Then the priest of Jupiter, which was before their city, brought oxen and garlands unto the gates and would have done sacrifice with the people, which when the apostles, Barnabas and Paul, heard of, they rent their clothes and ran in among the people, crying out and saying, Sirs, why do ye these things? We also are men of like passions with you and preach unto you that ye should turn from these vanities unto the living God, which made heaven and earth and the sea and all things that are therein who in times past suffered all nations to walk in their own ways. Nevertheless, he left not himself without witness. In that he did good, he gave us rain from heaven and fruitful seasons, filling our hearts with food and gladness. And with these sayings, scarce restrained they the people that they had not done sacrifice unto them. It didn't work. And there came thither certain Jews from Antioch and Iconium, who persuaded the people, and having stoned Paul, drew him out of the city, supposing he had been dead. Howbeit, and we read over that so quickly, this was a horrible thing to witness. 
Um, this didn't happen quickly. This was violent. This was slow. This was agonizing. Uh, this was a deliberate attack against the church. Howbeit, as the disciples stood round about him, he rose up and came into the city, and the next day he departed with Barnabas to Derby. And when they had preached the gospel to that city and had taught many, they returned again to Lystra. Paul, you don't go back to the city that just stoned you. But he returns again to Lystra and to Iconium and Antioch, confirming the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in the faith and that we must, through much tribulation, enter into the kingdom of God. And when they had ordained them elders in every church and had prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord on whom they believed. And after they passed through Pisidia, they came to Pamphylia. And when they had preached the word in Perga, they went down to Italia and thence sailed to Antioch from whence they had been recommended. So Antioch in Syria, to the grace of God for the work which they fulfilled. And when they were come and had gathered the church together, they rehearsed all that God had done with them and how he had opened the door of faith unto the Gentiles. And there they abode long time with the disciples. The message I'm preaching tonight is ambushed. Heavenly Father, would you help me as I preach and give me clarity and thought and uh, help me to preach with power and with boldness and help us as a church as we are going through this transition time uh, to turn to you, to rely on you, to trust in you, and to love you with all our heart, soul, and mind. We ask this in your name. Amen. So it's been made clear recently in the book of Acts, in the preaching, that the Christian life attracts enemies. Uh, there's no getting around that. It's, it's been that way since the church began. Brother Curtis Hudson was preaching through Acts, and he put it this way about the book of Acts. The prayers went up, the power came down, the people went out, the prospects came in, and the persecution, the persecution came, but the preaching went on. And then the prayers went up, and the power came down, and the people went out, the prospects came in, and the persecution came, but the preaching went on. And you see that cycle going over and over. And have you ever read Job before? And about halfway through Job, you get sick and tired of his friends and what they're saying. And you're just, okay, so as you read throughout the rest of Acts, every time you see the Jews show up, you're going to start saying, oh, here they come again. Okay, so obviously there are attacks being brought by the Jews. Okay, it's, it's becoming clear. Um, in this chapter, we see what we may call the usual suspects, the unbelieving Jews that are waging their typical attacks against the church. So they're bringing false teaching. They're bringing agitation. They're bringing insurrection uh, with the people, physical abuse, even murder, if that's what it takes to keep people to be quiet. So by this time, it was no surprise. It's no surprise to us, and it's no surprise to Paul and Barnabas. When the Jews show up, uh, all right, here, here it comes, okay? So when these attacks come, the apostles really kind of take it in stride, and they just move on, and they defend the gospel against these unbelieving Jews. So here's what I'm trying to bring out. For the most part, when you and I are in a battle, when anyone is in a battle, for the most part, we know who the enemy is. So the Revolutionary War, if you see somebody dressed in colonial garb, good. Red coats, bad. It's pretty simple. If you see anyone in a red coat, not, not good. So here, and think about, think about us today. We know who our enemy is. Our enemy is the devil. 
He is the one pulling the strings throughout it all, okay? But just because we know who the enemy is does not guarantee that we always know where the attacks are going to come from. So think about this with me. The, the, the Bible and, and God of all of the animals that he could have used to describe the devil, he uses a serpent and a, and a lion, a snake and a lion, okay? So let's focus on the fact that the Bible tells us to be sober, be vigilant for your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour. So we've all seen those nature shows and, and there's always a British guy talking, right? Although the lion is known for its strength and brute force. And then there's a pause for effect and you see, an, uh, you see a lion sneaking up behind a herd of antelope. The ambush is its primary technique. And you re he really sucks you into it. That, that was pretty good. I, <laughs> maybe not. Okay, so what, what is a serpent known for? Sneaky more subtle than any beast of the field. And what is a lion known for? Yes, strength and brute force. You don't want to come face to face with a lion, but you really don't come face to face with a lion too often. They're sneaking up on you. You're not sneaking up on him. So every Christian knows that the devil is the enemy. Every Christian knows that because the devil is the enemy, what does he desire? He desires our destruction. So along with that knowledge comes the idea and the understanding of how he attacks. And we could start naming off all of these tactics that the devil uses in order to wage war on the church or wage war on the Christian. We can talk about false doctrine. Obviously, that is an attack of the devil. And it's not only does he teach things that are outside of the Bible, but he also takes things that are in the Bible and twists them just a little bit. A lie is always easy to believe if you wrap it in the truth. And the devil's really good at that. So false doctrine is one of them. Discord among the brethren. That's an obvious one. How about compromise? That's one. Uh, and we, we could go on, go on. So failure to guard against those attacks of the devil will obviously cause damage to the church and to a Christian. And we know that. So we guard against those things. But remember that just like a lion in nature, the devil is really good at ambushing. He's really good at keeping our attention in one area all the while working in another area and preparing to attack here. And that is why the Bible says, be sober, be vigilant, because an ambush doesn't work unless you can catch somebody, what do we call it, off guard. An ambush doesn't work unless you can catch somebody off guard. So the Bible says, walk circumspectly. Be sober, be in your right mind. Be vigilant all the time all the time. There should not be one area of your life, not one time in your life where the devil can catch you off guard. But it happens often. So what I'm trying to bring out tonight, and I guess if, if I can illustrate it this way, imagine if this building was the church, okay? And obviously the people of the church, but imagine this building was an illustration of the church. Imagine this building was an illustration of your life or your heart. And you know that the devil wants in. And if the devil gets in, that's big trouble. He's going to destroy you if he gets in. Well then, there's obvious places to guard. Guard the doors, guard the windows, guard, any, guard the main entrances. I mean, that's obvious, right? 
But what about the air vents? What about the, you know, what about the back door? What about, what if he can tunnel his way in? Oh, the devil wouldn't do that. Oh, sure he would. <laughs> There's, look up the Battle of the Crater in the Civil War. So you have the Union Army 500 yards away from the, uh, well, not far, not far from the uh, Confederate Army, and General Grant saw no way to get through their defenses, so he dug a mine underneath their defenses and blew it up. Now, it didn't go very well for General Grant. It was actually one of his major losses, but don't ruin the illustration. So the, here's, here's the thing. Gentlemen, when you're watching sports, have you ever heard an athlete call it, oh, it was an ugly win? Have you ever heard that? Okay, so <laughs> hockey. Uh, there are things called an ugly goal, where the guy's falling down and he slides across the ice and he pushes it in with his head and it goes in. Okay, that's an ugly goal. There was one time we were in the playoffs, the Blackhawks were in the playoffs and a guy's coming towards the goal and the goalie comes out and his defenseman just runs into the goalie, falls flat, Goal wide open, that's an ugly goal. But guess what? Ugly goals win games. So here's what I'm saying. The devil does not care. Sure, he'll come in through the main entrance. He'll come in through a window. But he has, if he has to come through an air vent to destroy your life, he'll come in through the air vent. He'll come in through the back door. He'll dig a tunnel. He can do just as much damage coming through an air vent than he can launching an all-out attack through the front door. Teenagers, he can destroy your life just as easily with rebellion against your parents than he can with drugs. Ladies, he can destroy your life just as easily with bitterness and gossip than he can with alcohol. Gentlemen, he can destroy your life with laziness and apathy and complacency just as much as he can destroy it with adultery. And he's not going to be complaining at the end of your life, saying, oh, it was an ugly win. So here's all I'm trying to bring out. Watch the doors, for sure. Watch the door of doctrine, because he wants to come in and replace it with false teaching. Watch the window of standards and separation, because he wants to come in and put a different type of glass where everyone just looks the same and acts the same and everything's fine. Watch the door of the King James Bible because he wants to come in and he wants to replace it with more modern translations. So watch those. But what I, and I, I want to remind us to do that, okay? And, and you see it in here how, how Paul is setting up order in the church and ordaining elders. There needs to be order, and he's encouraging them, and he's preaching and preaching and preaching. Yes, yes, watch those things. But I also want to point out some air vents. I want to point out some back doors. I want to point out some possible tunnels that the devil is using to ambush a lot of Christians and a lot of churches. And I don't have much time to do it. Okay, so here we go. Uh, let me see, I'm through all that, through all that. Okay, how about number one? Watch for the ambush of pride and the praise of men. Watch the ambush of pride and the praise of men. 
So when Paul and Barnabas arrived in Lystra, they begin preaching to a crowd there. Among this crowd, there's a man who's lame from his mother's womb. And there they preached the gospel. As they preached the gospel, the man was listening. And as the man listens, Paul looks and the Bible says he perceives. He can tell that this man is grasping what he's preaching about the Lord. And this man is no doubt thinking, if the Lord is powerful enough to make other lame men walk and to make other blind people see and to raise from the dead, then he can help me. So Paul looks at him and he says, rise up and walk. Um, what, what does he say? Uh, Stand upright on thy feet. And the man begins to leap and walk and then a strange thing happens. So when a miracle like this is done in front of Jews, the Jews usually start thinking the man of God is here and he has a message, he has a message from God. That's what a sign means. That's what a miracle means. The Gentiles didn't think that at all. The Gentiles start thinking not that these are men of God, but these are gods. These are gods themselves. And the gods are come down to us in the likeness of men. They call Barnabas Jupiter. They call Paul Mercurius. And suddenly there's this priest of Jupiter that shows up and he brings all of these oxen and garlands and they're about to do sacrifices. And then a lot of people ask at this moment, why did Paul and Barnabas let it get this far? Where are they at this point? So it's possible that after they healed the man that they just walked off and they had no idea that any of this was happening. But it's also possible that they were there, but they just didn't understand what was going on. The Bible says in verse 11 that they were, they were speaking in the speech of Lyconia. So this is Greek mixed with Syrian. The point being that Paul and Barnabas don't understand what they're saying. Um, but here's what Luke does make clear. As soon as they figure out that all of these sacrifices and all of this to do and ceremony is for them and not for God, they immediately step in and do everything they can to shut it down. Look in verse 14, which when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of, they rent their clothes and ran among the people crying out, sirs, why do ye these things? We're not gods, we're men just like you. So let's tell, let me tell you about the real God. Let me tell you about the God of, of nature and creation in verse 15. Let me tell you about the God of history in verse 16, who has, in, verse, in chapter 17, he says, he's winked at your ignorance before, but now it's time to repent because he has revealed himself to us in his son. But he doesn't even mention Jesus in, in verse 15, 16, and 17. He's just saying, if you would just open your eyes, you would see Gods have nothing to do with this. It is one almighty supreme God who made all of this happen. So let's keep it simple and bring this to where we live today. Many churches and Christians have been destroyed because they begin accepting the praise of man rather than giving God the glory. And that is the very definition of pride being so full of ourselves that we can't be full of praise to the Lord. We're supposed to be empty. We learned about this last Sunday. We have nothing to be proud of. We have nothing, we have, we have nothing to uh, accept praise for. When God found us, we were in a horrible pit, a miry clay. How could I boast of anything I've ever seen or done? How good I dare to claim as mine the victories God has won. Where would I be had God not brought me gently to this place? I'm here to say I'm nothing but a sinner saved by grace. And that is always what we are. And that is what Paul and Barnabas are bringing out. You know, by many accounts, King Saul was a good king. 
He defended against attacks of heathen armies. He offended against violent soldiers that wanted to kill people that didn't want him to be king. And he says, there's no one going to be put to death this day. What are you, what are you talking about? The Lord has brought a great victory. We're going to praise him today. He, uh, he defended against false idols, but there was one area, there was one area that Satan caught him with his guard down. Off his guard, the pride and praise of men. David slew his ten thousands and me only my ten thousands. What are you talking about? Or how about another time where he, he goes to the Ark of the Covenant and he inquires of the priest, but then as soon as he hears that the battle's already started, he says, I don't need you anymore. I'm a soldier. I know how to do this. I'll do this myself. And there comes a day when Samuel said, Saul, your kingdom's been taken away from you. Not because of an invading army, not because you've let idolatry in, not because of false religion, not because of immorality, because of pride. And he tells him, when thou was little in thine own sight, that's when God made you king. So wherefore did you not obey? Why are you not obeying now? It's because you think you know better. And that's why the Lord has taken your kingdom away from you. So keep guarding the doors and windows, but don't miss the ambush of the pride and praise of men. When somebody compliments you or your ministry, you sincerely look back and you say, praise the Lord for it. Don't talk about the church more than we talk about Jesus, the one who loved the church and gave himself for it. Don't talk about the souls we see saved here more than we talk about the Savior of those souls. That one wasn't too bad. Don't praise the singers or the music ministry more than we praise the one who gave us a reason to sing. Don't testify of blessings more than we testify of the blesser. Don't appreciate the preacher and the preaching more than we appreciate the word of God that is being preached. Because the church does not exist to bring attention to ourselves. It is to bring glory to God. God does not bless a church with souls saved and with disciples and converts so that we can be recognized by other people. It's so that he can be praised. God does not bless a church with ministry so that we can put on a show. It's so that we can have more opportunities to bring glory to him. He is the head of the body, the church, that in all things he might have the preeminence. And that word preeminence means you find all the things that a lot of other people are putting first in their life. Family, career, education, money, whatever it is. And you tell them, take a back seat so that God gets number one. Preeminence is before number one. Eminence is number one. Preeminence is before that. Ephesus had it going on. They were, they were, they were doing well. But I have somewhat against thee. You've left your first love. And if you don't fix that, I'm coming down and I'm removing your church from you, except you repent. That's not harsh. That is, that is godly punishment. I must move on. The ambush of ease, number two, the ambush of ease. Soon after Paul and Barnabas try to stop these sacrifices to them, here come the Jews again. And before long, these people who at one moment wanted to worship them are now picking up stones and want to kill them. And let's just put it simply, you have to look pretty bad in order to convince an angry mob of possibly thousands of people that you're dead. And they all thought that Paul was dead. 
and they drag him outside of the city. But by a miracle, by a miracle, he stands up again and he says, this is ridiculous. This mission field is too hard. It's time to go home. No, verse 20 says, he rose up and came into the city. Into what city? The city where attempted murder just took place. That city. And then when he got into the city, he said, we're going to have to rethink our outreach. Because, you know, we're <laughs> it's a little difficult right now. You know what? I need, I need a hardship leave from the ministry. No, the next day, the next day, he departed with Barnabas to Derby. Read in verse 21. And when they had preached the gospel to that city and had taught many, they returned again to Lystra and to Iconium and Antioch. What are they doing there? Confirming the souls of the disciples. Strengthening the souls of other people. Exhorting them to, exhorting them to continue in the faith. You would think of all, right now, Paul would need someone to come to him and say, Paul, it'll be all right. Keep going. Don't quit. Paul is saying, no, you continue. You keep going. A little later, he's going to say, none of these things move me. And he's exhorting those other people and telling them what? That we must, we must, through much tribulation, enter into the kingdom of God. When they had ordained them elders in every church and had prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord on whom they believed. After they had passed throughout Pisidia, they came to Pamphylia. When they had preached the word in Perga, they went down to Italia and thence sailed to Antioch. What is our reason for not sharing the gospel? When is the last time that this happened to us? There are Christians in foreign countries who take their lives in their hands every single time they give out a gospel track. And there are Christians who enjoy freedom that won't lift a finger for the gospel. There are Christians who face incarceration for soul winning and Christians who won't go soul winning because they don't like confrontation. There are Christians who have shared the gospel while being burned at the stake and there are some Christians who won't share the gospel because they might be made fun of. Be honest, we have it easy. And when things are easy, we let our guard down. And we can forget that we're in a battle. And we're not ready to fight like we should be. And the reason why many churches in America aren't seeing souls saved is because they've settled into their comfort zone. And I'm glad that the devil can't attack those churches with false doctrine. That attack wouldn't work against the church, maybe that church. No, we're going to keep the doctrine. We're not going to compromise. I'm glad. I'm glad that the devil can't bring immorality into the church. I'm glad that the, that the devil can't bring disunity into the church. But if he can ambush them with ease and get them to relax instead of fight, what need is there to attack in any other way? An army may have the best weapons, may have the most trained soldiers and the wisest generals. But if they won't fight, what good are they? And what fear are they going to bring to the enemy? Ease can cripple a church just as effectively as disunity can. Just as effectively as embezzlement can. Just as effectively as immorality can or whatever else you can think of. 
So don't be so busy guarding the doors and the windows that we allow the devil to sneak in some other way. And suddenly, all we have to say is, we should have seen that coming. We should have been more sober, more vigilant. No wonder our country's going to hell. Because we have churches that should be standing, but they're running. And they should be fighting for God, but they're seeking for rest. Look in verse 3. Long time, therefore. What happened in the verse before? The Jews come down and start, what's the word I'm looking for? Stirring up the people. Long time, therefore, they abode. Because there was opposition, they stayed. So, are we catching that? What, what is our philosophy going to be? Oh, this is hard. There's opposition here. We can't stay. Paul and Barnabas was, this is hard. There's opposition here. How could we leave? How could we leave these people? Somebody needs to fight. Somebody needs to teach them what is true. Because if somebody doesn't teach them what is true, we see there's plenty of people that will teach them what's false. There's opposition here. How can we leave? But so many times we're seeing people, oh, there's opposition here. How can we stay? Is God not for us? Well, if God be for us, who can be against us? How about this? The ambush of complaining. Paul and Barnabas returned to Antioch in Syria, and they gathered the church together to tell them about their first missionary journey in verse 27. When they were come and had gathered the church together, they rehearsed, all that God had done with them and how he had opened the door of faith unto the Gentiles. Christian, don't be a complainer. Don't spend your life at the complaint counter. I'm not saying there's nothing to complain about. (laughs) Okay? I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying there's always something to rejoice about. So rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. We teach the kids that song. What a lot of people sing today, not rejoice in the Lord always. Complain to your friend always. And again, I say complain. There's somebody that always has something to say. Don't be the Christian. I'd rather spend my life rejoicing than complaining. But even though I'd rather do that, I often catch myself complaining rather than rejoicing. Complaining doesn't change the situation, right? Doesn't change the situation. What it does change is your spirit. That's the only thing complaining can change. So then here comes the pessimist. Okay, well rejoicing doesn't change the situation either. No, but it does change your spirit. And one brings it up and one brings it down. So don't be the Christian who does all the right things and goes to church and has their devotions, serves the Lord, all the while acting like it is the last thing in the world that they want to do. Don't be that Christian. Don't be a complainer. I've heard some people say, well, complaining makes me feel better. Teach me then, because I'm obviously complaining wrong, because every time I complain, it makes me feel worse. So if you have found a way to complain and it make you feel better, I'd love to know how. Because the flesh in me wants to keep complaining. It's easy. It's easy to find. It's easy to do. And I like things that are easy. Sinful nature always does. 
But the Bible says, wherefore doth a living man complain? And when you read the context of it, it's bringing out the fact that, okay, let's, let's do an exercise. God is good. That's what that means. Every time we can, God is good. What better life is there to live? What better place is there to be than where we are right now? Some people ask, well, what about, what about when I stop breathing? Well, even better. And I'm not, I don't mean that as a knock against you. <laughs> but to be absent with the body is to be present with the Lord. I, I want to see him. Why, why do we, we're going to sing about heaven and think about heaven and pray about heaven and love heaven and all these things and then go there kicking and screaming. So I'm not saying, you know, like, you know, stop breathing. I'm not saying that. I'm just... There's nothing to complain about. So, okay, I'm going to move on. Listen, I hope this church never lets the devil in the door of doctrine over my dead body. I hope the church never stops guarding the window of Bible preaching because the devil wants to come in and replace it with a social chat where there's not a pulpit up here, there's a stool. And I take the tie off and I just kind of rap with you for a little bit. And he wants, to take, he wants to take away Bible preaching and bring in a motivational talk. So I hope the church always guards against that. I hope we guard against the, or I hope we guard the door of unity so that he doesn't come in and sow discord among the brethren. I hope that we guard against separation so that there is a difference, that we come out among them and be separate. I hope we do all of that. But don't forget to guard against the ambushes. Don't let the devil ambush us with pride and with the praise of men. The Bible says you have your reward. When you do it to be seen of men, you have your reward. You know, I fear this verse, verse 27, could easily say, And when they were come and had gathered the church together, they rehearsed all that they had done for God, and how they reached the Gentiles by their great abilities in ministry. Don't let him ambush you with that. Don't let the devil ambush us with ease. This verse could say they rehearsed all that they had avoided doing. And even though God opened the door to the Gentiles, they were waiting for a better time to walk through it. Don't let him ambush us with complaining. This could easily say they rehearsed all that man had done unto them. And how God had shut the door of faith to the Jews. But instead they said, let me tell you all that God has done with vile, wicked, undeserving, unworthy Christians. And yeah, the Jews are coming, but let me tell you how, and their door is, seems to be closing, but let me tell you about this other, this other door that's opening with the Gentiles. Was it all worth it? As Paul, was it all worth it? Well, if you recognize the city of Lystra and Derby, there was a young man saved there during this missionary trip. His name was Timothy. Ask Paul if it was worth it. So are we watching 
those areas because the devil wants in. And he'll climb in through the back door just as soon as he climbed through the front. Thank you for listening to our audio preaching podcast. For more information about our ministries, or if you would like to get in contact with us, please visit our website at heritagebaptistcctx.org. May God bless you as you go forward with the gospel this week.